Well, proving that uh, there is no limits to what can be achieved when uh, humanity actually sets their minds to coordinating aspects. Uh, following on from last week's uh, wonderful mini version of Past Prologue with Finn Pollard and our regular weekly versions of uh, Midweek Drive and so on, we're delighted to actually resuscitate another programme. He says resuscitate quite deliberately now uh, with From Mountains to Molecules, the mini version with Josephine Westlake. How are you, Joe? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, me and uh, my daughter Annalise is here to help us out as well. Uh, yeah, excellent. So um, I see you're wearing a suitable uh, face covering there. Well, you can never be too careful when you're dealing with these video links, you know, clearly it's very important, you know, that we need to obviously be fully protected. Absolutely. And obviously uh, the 5G networks mean that uh, you can transmit this uh, through through electronics. And, is that uh, factor alternative fact? <laughs> I believe that's an alternative fact, just to clarify for everybody. 5G is, is not a method of, of transmitting coronavirus. Exactly. I'm pleased you actually said that because who knows what sort of Huawei mess we could actually be in if you started allowing for that. Uh, but let's not get political. Uh, talk to us, Josephine, about what you've been doing uh, as a scientist, as a, a uh, geographer, uh, specialising obviously in the history of floods and such like over the, uh, the years. How has the last few months been for yourself? Well, you might remember before all this, it seems like uh, years ago now, but it, before all this, we actually had a major series of floods at the beginning of the year. And that actually interrupted my, my research quite a lot. It was fantastic in terms of the samples that I'd be able to collect, but it meant that I wasn't able to go out and do the field work. And I was actually out aiming to go out and do field work um, at the end of March because we delayed it from February due to the flooding. And then what happened is we had this lockdown and I've been stuck at home since then pretty much because obviously the laboratories have closed, the universities have closed and, and we're only really just getting back into um, being able to get back into the lab. So I've actually had to cancel my field work, which is, is really sad. But the good reason for that is that I'm actually coming to the end of my PhD. Well, earlier today, I was doing a feature on terracycling and recycling new plastics that have been launched today, courtesy of Cathedral Cheese. And when it comes to recycling and dealing with uh, matters to do with our environment, certainly uh, Trudy is the girl to go to, basically, in terms of all other wonderful things. And she has joined us now. So, Josephine, would you like to introduce our next correspondent on this socially distanced and somewhat safe version of From Mountains to Molecules? Excellent. Yes. So we have uh, Gertruda here, who is also from the School of Geography, like me. And she's been on quite a few uh, From Mountains to Molecules before, as you might remember her. But she's doing some fantastic... How could one ever forget her? I mean, for goodness <laughs> sake, essential. Well, she's doing, she's doing some fantastic research on uh, contamination within uh, river sediments and within river, river flows themselves. And that includes things such as microplastics, which you alluded to there, Alex, and also to do with um, things such as antibiotics. Would that be right, Trudy? Do you want to fill us in a little bit more? Yeah, so one of the contaminants I'll be looking in is um, antibiotics, and I'll be working with um, a new researcher that's just joined our university, Amy, um, who's going to be looking at antimicrobial resistance. Um, and what I've learned is that this resistance is not just for antibiotics, like um, like I've always thought, you know, oh, yeah, penicillin resistance in bacteria. Well, apparently um, 
there's also a growth of resistance towards metals and all, all sorts of contaminants, really. I've never thought about it. Lead-resistant bacteria, can you imagine that? Wow, well, that ties in obviously to my research, which uh, look, looks at using the lead that's been deposited. So when, when they did a lot of lead mining, particularly up in the Ouse Basin in Yorkshire, a lot of that lead was, was sort of dumped downstream in the sediments. And uh, yeah, so if that's then eroded into the water supply, that would obviously uh, make a huge difference to, to this population of resistant bacteria you're talking about. Yeah, so basically there's going to be a lot of really interesting research going on. We still haven't really decided how we're going to approach it other than we have a lot of options. And of course, anything we uncover is going to be super relevant, super interesting. And we cannot wait to share with the public, really. I think we should probably tell Alex about something else, which is fantastic that me and Trudy have been working on with other students, other PhD students across the university from different schools. So this is a, a truly interdisciplinary project. We actually managed to win a grant from the Pearl organization. So that's public engagement with research at the University of Lincoln. And we are going to, well, we're in the process of setting up a fantastic event at the beginning of next year which is looking at combining art and science into a display, I suppose, of, of artwork. Trudy, do you want to go into some details about it? Yeah, so um, I guess the simplest way to start off is to say that the project is called Future Visions and um, just, um, how do we call it, interactions between environment and humans and this the conflict between the humans and the environment overall. And um, it's it's a bit like a very interactive art exhibition. Um, so we're gonna portray the art, the participants partake in the art exhibition part of it as well, but as well as the researchers, we, we guide, we're gonna be guiding um, the people who participate throughout the exhibition by sharing our knowledge and our research. So it's, it's yeah, we're using art to explain science basically. Does that sound like something you'd be interested in there, Alex? It very much focuses on the whole notion of uh, we are human beings, holistic creatures, and to artificially segregate into different forms of knowledge has always been a bit of a question. We've just come out of covering the online Newark Book Festival, uh, which I think demonstrated how uh, some of those things can actually work. So yes, whether we are socially distanced or whatever the state of play is uh, in months to come, that's really great news and well done. It fits very nicely with the public engagement of science aspect of Pearl and indeed Lincoln Lights, which uh, uh, certainly from Mantis to Molecules still connects with in terms of uh, Lincoln get hold of technology and science. But Trudy has also got a fact or alternative fact quiz, I believe, for this mini edition. Is that not true, Trudy? Yes, it is. And um, shall I just start off now? It's very exciting. I've been so excited about it. It's, it's just so <laughs> exciting. We can't hold back any longer. Go for okay. it. So in the, in the theme of living the pandemic, I thought, hey, let's do some fun with pandemics. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing on the Spanish flu. I wasn't around then, despite sort of one's chronological <laughs> giftedness. And it was over 100 years ago. Well, actually, no, it, was, it was about 100 years ago. Kicked yeah. off 1918. That was where, fun fact, actually, the phrase that the British government used 
keep calm and carry on manifested itself because World War One was happening at the time. And although the Spanish flu was very much uh, killing people as well, they didn't want to panic people unnecessarily. So there you go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay, well, let me start off. Um, so I've got three fact or fiction points. So let's start off with the first one. Number one, Spanish flu started in Spain. Number two, symptoms of Spanish flu included blue and black face. Three, the Spanish flu came in three, uh, sorry, in uh, six waves. Well, certainly number one is clearly false from my perspective. Uh, absolutely, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, definitely it's, it's, not. Yeah. Definitely. It, it actually was America, as, as most of these things are. Most, most sort of uh, things actually do emerge positively for America, as indeed I'm sure Donald Trump will take credit uh, in months to come for coronavirus as well, which is great. So you can do <laughs> Spanish Trump too. Yeah, so, that's, so that's um, you guys are right. That one is not true. Okay. Um, hold on a minute, because Joe might have one or two things to say as well in terms of numbers two and three. Blue and black face. That's, isn't that like cholera? Okay, Anna thinks that might be cholera. And and the last one, um, we know we're definitely aware because they keep talking about how it came definitely in two waves. The second wave was the biggest, but I think that there will have been other waves after that. Did you say six waves? Yeah. Okay, I think that one might be the true one. What do you think, Alex? Do you know? I'm not sure whether I seem to recall uh, that the blue and black symptoms did occasionally recur, occur. So there might be a difference of, of opinion in terms of this. I think number two might be a, a fact as, as well. And I think six waves seems to be a little bit too high. Second or third, six seems a little, little, little bit too high. But that's there we are. That's my feeling at this time of day. Right. right. So you guys, you finished? You're happy with your answers? As happy as we'll ever be. Okay. Who, who wins? Who wins? Um, well, before I reveal the winner, I'm just going to start off with the first non-fact thing you guys um, figured out. Spanish flu did not start in Spain. Um, it started in 1918 in the autumn in, in US, and it quickly spread to Europe. But because of the, the war that was going on um, and to maintain the morale, the information was censored and Spain was um, one of the most neutral countries at a time. And they had, um, um, it was possible to do free reporting in all the local newspapers. So they reported all the effects of the epidemic at the time, uh, which made it seem like Spain was the worst hit country. They were suffering really badly. And so that's where the name came from it. Right. So even if you look back at that, those reports now, does it still look as though it came from Spain? If you were to review this in, say, 300 years time and you just looked at the historical information, would you think that it came from Spain? The clues in the uh, name, surely. Yeah, <laughs> I think because of the censoring. And if you didn't look at what was happening besides that, you probably would think it was Spain related. That's really you know, interesting, I, I, especially I, with historical research like we do. Um, obviously, it's the same with flooding episodes and things in the past. You have to take account of this historical censoring, really, don't you? I can almost hear those bats in the wet markets getting in touch with their lawyers at present to say, it's not our fault after all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so go on then, Trudy. Which one of us yes. is right? I mean, so 
The fact was, um, and Alex was correct with this oh. one, it was number two. The symptoms of Spanish flu did include a blue and black face. So, um, so while majority, sorry, was that lack it of oxygen to the bacterial pneumonia? Yeah. So basically, while majority of the infected showed the typical symptoms of a sore throat, headache, and fever. Um, in more serious cases, the bacterial pneumonia caused the infected to turn blue, uh, which then led to bleeding from your nose and your mouth, and then it slowly ended up turning into a black face, at which point you're basically just hours away from death. Wow. As I said, you know, I remember it well. Oh no, sorry, I didn't say that after all. <laughs> Never mind. Past lives. <laughs> and uh, the last point um, that the Spanish flu came in six waves was also not true. It came only in three waves. So the first wave was the weakest one and arrived in the autumn of uh, 1918. The second was the strongest, which was um, over the winter of the 1918. And the third wave was sort of an intermediate between the two, um, which was in early 1919. So yeah, there you go. Wow, so I was right, there was more than two waves that they keep talking about, but but not as many as six. Yeah, just the three. Fantastic. Okay, um, do we have a bit of time to talk about the latest announcement from the government, Alex? I think so. Okay, I think it's something we need to talk about actually today. So the first thing I want to do is just clarify some of the terminology that, that is surrounding this disease, because we kind of use things like COVID-19, coronavirus, and then there's obviously SARS-CoV-2. All of these are used interchangeably, but actually they mean um, sort of different things. So when we're talking about the, the, the virus itself, the virus is actually called Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, which is shortened to SARS-CoV-2. So that is the virus that, that we're actually talking about. They then turn that into, uh, well, it's basically a, a novel coronavirus. So coronaviruses are colds, colds, flu, um, things like that that are going around all the time. But this is a novel one. So this means a new coronavirus. We've never seen it before. Nobody has immunity across the world. So this is why it's causing such havoc, really. So this long-winded name SARS-CoV-2 is obviously not particularly catchy so they shortened it down to COVID-19 and over the last year we've seen the word coronavirus sort of being used less and less and COVID-19 being used more. COVID-19 is the disease that is caused by uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus so it's, it's those two things are quite different but when they talk about it in the media you often hear them talking about COVID-19 so just remember that COVID-19 is the disease, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes it. So I think it's really important to talk about that. Now, something um, that our, our other colleague, Sneska, uh, may be wanting to get involved in. Hi, Sneska, nice to have you here. Um, is a discussion about this new announcement by the government. So from Tuesday, the government are announcing in the UK that people must wear face masks, face coverings in shops in the UK. Now, there's a lot of uh, discussion about this, particularly in the United States. They had uh, a big meeting where they, they listened to the public's input on that. And I watched that meeting and it was, it was absolutely fascinating and horrifying at the same time to see what some of the myths and misconceptions regarding face masks 
It's a communist plot. It's a communist plot. That's the case. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, so there were some people. Now I'm, I'm I'm a Christian, so I'm quite religious. But um, one of the reasons, one of the excuses that people were making that they shouldn't be able to wear face masks was that uh, the government are interfering and in in God's breathing system. God's breathing system is there, designed to breathe, and it's perfect, and therefore that's why we, we have all the petroleum industries working. <laughs> Exactly. It's 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 an it's it's one of these philosophies, I suppose, that you shouldn't meddle with anything. They're probably the same people who refuse to take any drugs, refuse to take any medication, anything like that. Um, and it's it's an interesting way of life, I think. But yeah, that was just one of the things that came up. So, in terms of of, of what you guys have heard, uh, Sneska, what have you heard about face coverings? Are you in favour of face coverings in the shops, you've obviously got two children like me. Um, how are they going to react to it? What are your thoughts? Oh, she's gone very quiet, her Sineska. She, she's unmuted herself, but we couldn't actually hear anything she's actually saying. Okay, can we can we try we this way? Welcome, welcome, Sineska. It's always good for radio. Thank you very much. Um, well, you know it. I always think precautionary principles should be in place if we are um, uncertain about um, the, the how how much is going to be um, uh, well, what impact we're going to have. Is it going to be positive, or it's better safe than sorry? Let's put it that way. It does not uh, harm you in any way. So why shouldn't we wear the face mask? Because we don't know. And if we don't know, surely we should be more cautious. And just yesterday, which I rarely, really rarely go to shops, but yesterday I was, and I noticed more people wearing them, but majority, majority of people not. No, and that's, it's that's very really concerning. That's really interesting. If you compare us to other countries, I'll talk about that in a minute, but... Um, what about your children? Are they both going to wear them? Because you've obviously got one older child and you've got one well, younger child. The, 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 my 12-year-old was with me and we both had masks. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him with me if he didn't have one. Okay. What about the younger one? No, she doesn't go with me anywhere in, in that yeah. way. We, we are in, in the park, in the open space with very small number of people around us. Um, so that is, um, that is to me acceptable but going in a, a, a enclosed space and uh, with more people around which was quite busy yesterday considering it was monday i expected to be that that's the reason why i went in thinking it's going to be quieter but i was so wrong um so yes we have seen it get busy haven't we over the last few days it's really this last week it's got really busy i've noticed the village is is there's a lot of people out walking and riding their bikes doing exercise and everything but there's a lot more groups out and about um, Trudy, what do you think about this? How, how are your feelings? Are you are you concerned about having to wear a mask? Um, well, I had to wear a mask. I went to um, to the hospital a few weeks ago um, for a checkup. Uh, nothing COVID related, but the point is, is that um, obviously you still have to wear a mask. And I think going into a hospital is so scary because it's like the 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 hub of the diseases. Um, so first of all, I was very terrified of that. But anyways, wore the mask and it is very claustrophobic. 
Yeah, no, I'm wearing one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex is proving that it's perfectly fine. Me and Anna are also going to prove it's perfectly fine to wear these and prove that we can breathe yeah. while wearing these masks. Well, you can, um, you can. I'm just saying it's uh, something that will require getting some used to. Um, and I do agree with your point that the cities have been getting busier and busier. I mean, I've definitely noticed that here as well in Lincoln Center. Um, there's a few car parks near where I live and they've been jam-packed with cars. I have not seen this many people for four months now. But Trudy, that's I because mean... we've been told by the government to get back to work. Incidentally, just a minor point, if I could just add, uh, Donald Trump said it makes him feel like the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger had an <laughs> eye mask not a mask like this. It was the villains of the Lone Ranger who actually wore masks. Just a minor And point. also, also, this is really useful because, you know, when you go out somewhere, um, you don't have to put any makeup on underneath this. So you can just, <laughs> you can just put your eye makeup on, maybe do a bit of a concealer on the top, and, and the rest of it's fine. You just leave it. And we can also grow little mustaches because they're yeah, very it's perfect for people who are hairy. <laughs> it's a little bit. It is a little bit uncomfortable. It's not uncomfortable. It's different, but not not something we can't get used to, or certainly not something we can't tolerate. Surely, my, my husband is in a work environment on a, on on a on a ward in a hospital, and he wears mask for twelve hours shift. So, surely we can do our part in in uh, in uh, um, curtailing the spread of disease. We I'd like to come on to that on um, behalf of uh, people who have special educational needs. So um, some of you will, will be aware that, that well, our, our family, me, my daughter and my son, we're all on the autism spectrum. Now, me and my daughter don't really have any sensory issues regarding things like face masks, but my son does. He is nine, so he would actually be exempt from having to wear these face coverings, although normally I would try and make him do that. I don't think he's going to be able to. He cannot deal with things like a scarf around his neck. He can't deal with high collars. Um, so I don't think he's going to be able to wear a face mask. And I agree with you. I think it's like early on in the pandemic. If you can go somewhere without taking them with you, I think that's ideal. But there is going to be time. There are going to be times when he's going to have to, to come with me. And what I've actually done for anybody who, who's unaware of this, uh, this thing of hidden disabilities, you can get these sunflower lanyards. The sunflower lanyards, if you ever see anybody wearing one, they could have diabetes, they could commonly on the autism spectrum because it's a very hidden disability. But you can get um, a face mask exempt um, card for that as well, which is really useful. So I've actually sent off for that just for Brendan because I, I, I'm anticipating some negative reactions from people once you go out um, and I don't want him to, to see that, if you know what I mean. So I'm hoping that that might help a little bit. But there will be places he can't go. So our hairdressers, for example, have said he has to wear a mask. So we're going to go and try and get him to wear one just for while he's having his hair cut. But it is, is going to be an issue for some people. And there are adults like him who have these issues around face masks. So I think it is going to be a problem for for more people than, than people anticipate. And it isn't just a case, these sensory issues are not just a case of, oh, I'll just get over it, put it on for a few minutes. Just, think of, just think of it yeah. as actually being astronauts on the spaceship Earth. That's what we're about. And if you're on a, on a spaceship, when you go into the airlock, you have to put a mask on just to actually survive on that basis. So that's just, it, yeah. So it's, I, that works on children. I'm not entirely sure how well it will work on adults <laughs> who have similar issues. But 
I mean, when we've been talking about it on the forums with other people who are on the spectrum, um, it is very much a case that we all agree that if we can wear them, we should. Um, but the government have included advice that if you are, if you do have these issues, that you do not have to wear them. Um, so there's something to be aware of. Uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about then in terms of all these things is the myths surrounding this. Now, I mentioned one earlier on. The, one of the other ones is that it reduces uh, oxygen. Now, there's a fantastic YouTube video out there, which I'm, I'll post on the, uh, the, the From Mountains to Molecules Facebook page. And it is uh, a doctor in a hospital who's actually very upset about the fact he has to post this. But he, he measures his, his oxygen, blood oxygen, and then he puts the mask on and he continues to measure his blood oxygen. And he proves that there is no negative impact on that. So by wearing a face mask, you are not cutting off your oxygen supply. That is not a valid excuse for not wearing a mask. So that's really important. Um, the other one that goes around, you've probably heard, is that if people wear face masks, everybody will stop social distancing, everybody will stop washing their hands, basically everything else, all the hygiene stuff will go out the window. Um, some research has been done on this in the last few months. Uh, the first one was looking at uh, transmission, how effective face masks are, the population impacts and, and the sociology considerations of this. And they, they did come out with some major findings. The first one is that primary transmission of this disease is through, of this virus is through small respiratory droplets. And it's also done a lot through pre-symptomatic people. That's people who haven't got any symptoms before you know, they get them. And also asymptomatic people, people who never get any symptoms are spreading this quite widely. So these people will still be going out and about. So these aren't people who are isolating. They're still going to shops. They're still doing normal activities. But what they did find is that by far the majority of evidence that is out there indicates that mask wearing reduces transmissibility per contact with other people. So it does have a major effect. It's not minor, it's, it shouldn't be played down. This has a major effect. It's most effective when compliance is high. So that is when most people in the population are wearing them. And they also found that it substantially, not just slightly, but substantially reduces the death toll and the economic impact. And it's a really low cost intervention. It doesn't cost that much for everybody to do it. So those are the big findings. The other one they found is that um, another piece of research just talks about how this impacts everything else. So there are concerns that mask wearing could engender a false sense of security, basically. This is what we were talking about. Um, but there is absolutely no empirical evidence for that. There is no evidence out there in the published literature that wearing face mask reduces um, infection control. So washing hands, things like that. People don't do that. In fact, the only published study that's out there that does have anything to do with this shows the actual opposite. People avoid people wearing masks. Because they, they think they're going them. to be robbed. Anyway. Well, maybe. But if you <laughs> had a choice, if, if there was somebody who was interviewed, if you had a choice of sitting next to somebody on a train who was wearing a mask or somebody who wasn't wearing a mask, the reasoning is that you would sit next to the person who wasn't wearing the mask because the person wearing the mask might have it. You know, they, they might have COVID-19 and that's why they're wearing, wearing the mask. So 
yeah, it makes people more cautious, not less cautious, but it is very important that these messages are clear and they emphasize this in the research. The government must make it very clear to the public that they must wear these masks, when they must wear these masks. And the, the point about uh, sticking to other methods like infection control must be stuck to by the public and the government must enforce that um, on top. So I think that's really yeah. important. Can I just please ask, why are we so reluctant to learn from other nations? Exactly. Because we're British, at, uh, Nesca, because we're British. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> we feel like we can do things better. We were so slow to react to this. You know, we want to do everything differently to everybody else. I think. And, and we're in the top that, three. There's only Brazil and America have higher numbers of deaths for the whole system. So I know, we're good. winning. We're going to get a bronze medal out of this. It's great. Exactly. It is almost time to wrap up this, uh, not quite mini, actually. It's been a sort of quite recent uh, Manchester Molecules. If you want to put in some music, obviously, you can do that at your own leisure. Uh, but, Josephine, would you like to thank our team of uh, Trudy and Sneska uh, for participating in this first ever online socially distanced and mask wearing from Manchester Molecules? I would love to, but I think you've already done it. <laughs> so Trudy and Seska, thank you very much for coming along. Um, thank Alex, you for thank you us. very much for hosting this. Um, and I think we need to have a photo at the end of this uh, with, with our masks on to prove that we are still alive.